We are taking a break from Hebrews today to dwell on a short passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's one of Paul's short turns of phrase that offers on one level a clear, small exhortation, yet underneath that provides a deep well about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. In this deep well is a way of life, of being Christian that flies in the face of the world. It's a way of being Christian that flies in the face of much of Christianity today. It's a way of being Christian that has challenged me again and again over my life, uh, over the years, to stop and consider who exactly it is I'm living for. In reality, the truth that this passage points to is the only way to be a Christian because it's the only way to follow Jesus. So as we begin, I want to read the passage with you all again together, two times through. It's really short, so you should have it memorized by the time the service is over. It should be up on the screen for us. Let's read it together. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let me restate this for you as our main idea today. We bear one another's burdens because we have a burden-bearing God. Now, what is Paul talking about here? As in any sort of communication, we need a little bit of context to know. In Galatians chapters 5 and 6, Paul explores the clash of spiritual forces going on in the world and in the hearts of those who follow Christ. There's the Spirit of God who dwells in each Christian and who gives us freedom from sin and death. And there's the spiritual forces of evil in the world, on the other hand, which turn our hearts inwards and away from God. And he paints this picture where we're caught in the fray, so to, so to speak, in this battle. And St. Paul's admonition for us then is to walk in step, to keep in step with the Spirit of God. Now, Paul was a preacher, and any good preacher knows not to give a large abstract exhortation like keep in step with the Spirit without illustrating it with some more concrete examples. And our passage that we've just read together is one of his illustrations. If life in the Spirit is this beautiful treasure beyond worth, hidden in a chest, as Jesus says it is in Matthew chapter 13, this passage just gives us one little glimpse of its beauty from one angle. In the church of Galatia, the particular issue of envy and comparison, of rivalry and comparison, plagued the community. It's an issue that plagues us as well, that plagues our church as well, usually in subtle, unspoken forms, I think. Consider for a moment with me the last time you gave yourself a pat on the back because your career or your relationships, maybe your marriage or friendship, maybe your parenting, is working out pretty well as compared to those around you, your friend or maybe your sibling. Or on the other hand, you told yourself that you were inadequate or even worthless and decided that God just must not love you very much because you feel like you're always one step behind everyone else. You can't catch up, and when you see the success of others, you either, you either feel a deep sense of hopelessness about yourself or a strong resentment at the life that you were dealt as compared to the others. Does any of this ring familiar? These are the fruits of comparison and rivalry, what was going on in Galatia and here, and why Paul challenged the Galatians to live a different way, to live in step with the Spirit, because that fights against the destructive fruits of the flesh. If you can relate to these struggles, let's pay attention together 
to what Paul has to say. The passage has two pieces. First, a command to bear one another's burdens. And second, a promise that in so doing this, we will fulfill the law of Christ. We'll consider each of these in turn. First, bear one another's burdens. Well, what are these burdens exactly? There's really two ways to define them. First, the burdens are simply the weights of life in a broken world. I don't want to over-spiritualize that. In the first century world, there were worries about food, clothing, and shelter, worries about threats, threats of violence and disease. We, of course, can relate to all of these, and the list goes on. There's burdens we carry of physical illness and mental illness, of raising children, of the single life and the married life. Financial burdens, the burdens of broken family systems and unfulfilled dreams, of relationships that never quite seem to work out. There's the, bur- there's the burden of bondage to addiction and the shadow of past trauma that still casts a shadow over the present. Further, there's the fear of loss, relationally and financially, of isolation, rejection, loneliness, and finally and ultimately, of course, there's the fear of death. You know the ones that are on your own own shoulders. I'm sure you're feeling them right now as I'm listing these off. Second, there's the burdens also. Burdens can also be understood as specific temptations that we face towards sin. I think Paul's also talking about this. These are weights that pull us as individuals and as a community towards evil, towards disordered loves and abuses of power. They're the things that breed superiority and envy in you and also destroy the image of Christ and other people. You know these well. A line from a Kenny Chesney song always makes me reflect on my own inclinations towards sin. It's funny, but it's true. It's always your favorite sins that do you in. So what does it mean to bear them with one another? Is it to put up with or deal with? To abide by our cultural code of tolerance for the burdens of the other, which says, you're welcome in my life and I'll help you out a little bit as long as I'm not inconvenienced too much? Or is it silently serving the needs of the weaker one, the one with this burden, because you know it's the right thing to do? but all the while wishing they would really just suck it up and get over it. Because after all, you've endured much heavier things and there's a lot of people out there with a lot worse situations. Actually, no, it's not any of this. In the first century, burden-bearing was the task of slaves. We know Paul has in mind this sort of labor, slave labor, when he gives a similar command in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. He says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. The language of service is the language of slave service here. This is hard work then, and it's not optional for the Christian. Yet it's also not done with resentment and bitterness. How can this be done? How is it possible to do this? It's a very high bar that's set. And the news doesn't get better yet. It's actually harder because of an assumption about life we have absorbed and adopted from the world around us that's unavoidable to some extent because of the environment we live in. This assumption is is called the story of self, or the story of self-fulfillment, I'll call it. 
it says that I am the center of the world, and if I search deep within myself, I'll find true meaning and happiness, which is my greatest goal in life. That's what I'm going after. Take, for example, the international best-selling book, The Alchemist. Has anyone read it? Anyone? Yep, yep. I've read it. Uh, I, you may know it. I, I read this book while I was in college. I put it on my Facebook page as one of my favorite books. So I thought it was interesting. It made me sound interesting. It's a, yeah, it's a captivating little story, if you haven't read it, actually. It's a captivating little story about a boy who seeks who's on a journey seeking his personal legend, which is his meaning in life. And he goes on this journey through North Africa of self-discovery in order to find his personal legend, which in the end is actually buried deep within himself. Once he finds it, he realizes that all things in the universe are conspiring to help him enter into his own personal destiny. This is a great example of this self-fulfillment narrative. And if this is our story, if this is the story we're living into and being a part of day after day, bearing one another's burdens is extremely difficult to do. Because why would we? Why would we slow down and inconvenience ourselves when life is really about finding my personal legend, my own destiny, my own version of happiness? Now, here's an important point. Joining in the suffering of another could be a part of this journey, if it provides meaning and fulfillment for me. But that's the issue in this narrative. As soon as things become inconvenient or too much, I may realize my personal legend is actually found in another endeavor, another activity that I find more fulfilling than carrying weights with other people, maybe like roasting my own coffee beans or sailing. I personally know the call to bear burdens is not going to stand up for me in this narrative. My own self-interest, my own propensity to avoid pain is going to win out in the end. And although we find subtle versions of this story in the church, these are called heresy, this is not the story of the church. Our story is quite different because it's about following Jesus Christ, who is a man well acquainted with sorrows. And in that story, where our goal is not self-fulfillment, but to be transformed into the image of Christ, the call to bear one another's burdens fits. It makes total sense. So let's continue in Galatians to see how Paul explains this story. He moves to a promise that in bearing burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. What is this law? The tax collector Matthew tells us in his gospel that Jesus summarizes all of God's law and the prophets and the great commandment of love. To love God with all of one's heart, one's soul, one's mind, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. In John's gospel, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment, he says. This is the only time in the gospels Jesus uses this exact phrase. Usually in his teaching, like in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus claims he has come not to abolish the law, and prophets, but to fulfill them. These are, but these are his words in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. But how is this idea exactly new? 
It wasn't, it wasn't immediately new to the disciples. Their, the, this great law of love is actually recorded in Leviticus 19.18, which they would have known well, to love your neighbor as yourself. So what's new here, and what does it have to do with the law of Christ that Paul refers to in Galatians chapter 6? This is what's new. In Leviticus, God speaks to his people by speaking to Moses as an intermediary in the tent of meeting. And then he went out and shared the the word of God with the people. In John's gospel, God is speaking face to face with his people around a table. God's speaking face to face around a table. Through Moses, God gives the law of love, and then he works to show what it looks like through an imperfect person. But through Jesus, God gives this law of love and shows what it means by stooping down himself and washing the disciples' feet. A perfect God taking on the form of humankind and serving a very imperfect creation, including the one who betrayed him for a sack of silver. He washed his feet too. The commandment is new because it is to love one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you. There is now no doubt about what God's love looks like and the sort of love Jesus is calling his followers to. It is the love of the incarnation, of a holy God stooping down and reaching out to very flawed people and washing their feet, bearing with them through unbelief, through mistakes, through weaknesses, through trials. This is the law of Christ Paul says we fulfill through bearing one another's burdens. It is the command of love as summed up by Jesus and enacted through his ministry, through his foot washing, and through his carrying a cross. If you thought burden bearing was an impossible task, then this certainly is out of reach, loving as Jesus loves. But here's the pivot. This law, this new commandment, is what makes sharing the load and loving as Christ loves possible in the first place. Because the law of Christ starts with Jesus' burden bearing for you. It is through entering this truth, the truth that Jesus bends not only to wash the disciples' feet, but to wash your feet and mine, the truth that he carried across for your sake and for mine, that the power of the Holy Spirit manifests in us and enables us to follow a cross-bearing Savior wherever he leads us. And following a cross-bearing Savior in the power of the Holy Spirit is a life of paradox, It's the way of eternal joy and beauty, but it is an eternal joy with tears because there will be personal cost in bearing the burdens with brothers and sisters. Yet in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, not our own personal legend, but Christ's law of sacrificial love. And we have deep communion with Jesus in doing this, because we're never bearing a burden that Jesus himself is not already carrying. Do you see bearing the weight that is crushing another, no matter who they are, whether it's the weak and marginalized, the one who doesn't have a voice, or whether it's the undeserving, someone who doesn't really seem like they deserve to have help, or the one who seems like they have it all together, but is a wreck inside. This is the work of Jesus. Ultimately, he bore the weight of death for the whole world. We as his body get to join in his ongoing life by clipping our wings for the sake of another.
by slowing down for the sake of another, through the unglamorous work of foot washing, by giving our lives away, by scorning worldly success and honor, we walk the path of eternal glory in his presence. And in this story, in this narrative, the narrative of the gospel, burden-bearing makes total sense. It witnesses to God's revolutionary love. It's who we are as the body of Christ. It nourishes the fruit of the Spirit within us and forms us more, distinct, more distinctly and more clearly to reflect his image to the world. It's not fair. It's not equal. It has no promise of visible return. But our burden-bearing has real purpose because it points beyond us. It points beyond me and beyond you and beyond even our world, our physical world that we can see. And it points to God and God's love for his bride, the church. And in God's covenantal wedding vows with his people, there's no prenuptial agreement. So church, are we fulfilling this law? Are we leaning into Jesus, our burden-bearing God, and following him wherever he leads us? I want to tell you a short story to help paint the picture of what we're talking about this morning. It's about a couple named Ian and Larissa. Ian and Larissa were in their mid-20s, and they'd been dating for about 10 months. They were in the exciting part of a relationship where they're talk, starting to talk about getting married. Ian was shopping for rings, doing the whole thing, getting excited about it. When one day tragedy struck them, he was driving home on the, on the way home from work, and his truck flipped over and rolled off the road, and he got rushed to the hospital. And Larissa got the call that Ian had been in this accident, and so she's headed to the hospital. And, and as she's going, she's praying and asking God for um, one specific thing. One, that Ian would be alive, that he would keep him alive. And two, that he wouldn't suffer permanent brain damage. And as she got to the hospital, she found out Ian had actually been in brain surgery for several hours already, and uh, it looked like he would actually have permanent brain damage. This was an immense blow to her, obviously. But in the weeks moving forward from that, Ian was spared his life. He survived it. And he started to recover bit by bit, little by little. He'd be in, the, in a wheelchair the rest of his life. And he would not even come close to recovering full mental capacity, but he would recover some. And Larissa decided earlier on then that if he got to a point where they could communicate with one another then she would move forward with their wedding. And she still wanted to marry him. And it, it happened. He got to the point where he could communicate, not, again, not in a level as he used to, but more similar to how I can communicate with my 18-month-old son. So there was real communication, but it looked totally different. And they got married, and they're still married today. How did Larissa choose to do this? She bears an immense weight, an immense burden, with Ian, her husband, for the rest of their lives together. She chose to bear this burden with him because she was more concerned that her life and her marriage specifically was pointing to God's love and representing his love for the world rather than fulfilling an image about what happiness meant from her world. So let's ask ourselves similar questions. What have, what have you done? What have I done? 
What have we sacrificed so that someone else may know the love of God more deeply? Can we be interrupted to see where God is inviting us to bear the burdens of another? Maybe it's another phone call, an extra invitation, or another week, or a month, or even year, walking with a sister who's racked with anxiety and fear that plagues her, or inviting a friend to be a roommate for a while, whether you're single or married, to help, in, in, help him in his battle against addiction, with alcohol or pornography maybe. But one thing is this, there's no such thing as following Christ with people and not bearing burdens together. If you follow Jesus, this is going to happen. It simply is going to happen, not out of obligation to do so, but opportunity to do so. There's several pitfalls in this pursuit to warn you of. First, don't find your identity in rescuing other people. Don't go that route. It's Jesus who heals them, and Jesus who continues to save and heal, not you. Building your identity on this will lead to burnout, or you'll just give it up when it's not working anymore. It can't sustain. Second, if you feel so weighed down by the burdens in your own life that considering bearing something with someone else is so crippling, you can't manage it, don't take this as a guilt trip. Prioritize leaning deeply into Christ first, who bears this weight with you. He does. And if you do this faithfully, your own suffering will be a source of healing for others. He promises that. We don't have a personal legend as Christians. Sorry to disappoint if you thought you did. As Christians, we have something different, something much more beautiful, something much more hopeful. It's a communal call to walk following Jesus, walk in step with the Spirit towards the kingdom of God. Henry Nouwen says it like this, the way of the Christian is not the, upward, the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. This might sound morbid and masochistic, but for those who have heard the voice of the first love and said yes to it, the downward moving way of Jesus is the way to the joy and the peace of God, a joy and peace that is not of this world. It's a communal call to know this love, this agape love, this divine love from God that you and I were made for. Do you know this love? 